0: Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick.
1: Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. I'm Monty Larrick. On February 16th, the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, JCAR, of the Illinois General Assembly, will decide whether to ratify the culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. The radical rules have already been approved by the Illinois State Board of Education. The proposed standards will force teachers to turn their classrooms into woke indoctrination centers. Failure to comply could result in the loss of a license to teach in Illinois. Please contact state lawmakers on JCAR and urge them to vote no on the radical teaching standards. For their names and phone numbers, go to IllinoisFamily.org. That's IllinoisFamily.org. And remember, your calls are needed before the expected February 16th vote. If approved, the standards will put critical race theory into classrooms. Here to weigh in is Dr. Eric Wallace, the founder of the Freedoms Journal Institute. He's a conservative who's appearing on the April
2: 6th Rich Township consolidated election ballot? Well, my first concern, and they don't really come out and say that it's going to be, you know, the whole woke piece, but it's written so vaguely. It's not specific in what it's actually asking you to do. They're basically saying, you know, talking about, you know, affirming people's backgrounds and their identities and all that. And it's one thing to say you need to respect other people's background. Even if somebody comes in who's transgender, you want to respect the fact that that's how they identify themselves. I can't say every Christian would be able to affirm that and say, yeah, that's, that's really good that you came out like that. The dialogue about whether that's real or not has to take place outside the classroom, but within the classroom, we respect where people are coming from, okay? So that mean, doesn't mean I have to affirm it. But there are other things that they're asking teachers to do, and it's not specific. And you don't know whether you're actually living up to the standard or not. And so how are they going to judge it until they become really specific about what they're asking about? whole idea about being an activist. Um, Why are we asking young people to be activists and for teachers to be involved in their activism in some kind of way? That's bringing politics into the classroom. And I think most people would prefer, especially when you're talking about K through 12, I can understand maybe if you're in college and you're talking about some of that. But in K through 12, I think a lot of the stuff that they discuss here is is really too advanced for what they're talking about in grade school. And they're not focusing on what kids
1: need to learn. (laughs) Schools are already failing. Kids aren't getting the math they need, the
2: science they need, et cetera. Exactly. So instead of teaching them how to read, write, you know, what's it, reading, writing, arithmetic, they want to talk about and bring in other stuff. Uh, and I understand how you can make arithmetic a little more culturally sensitive or, or more exciting, you know, instead of just talk about how fast the train is moving from this spot to that spot. Maybe bring in a, something having to do with football or basketball. You know, what kind of art needs to be on that? Or, or something interesting like that for those who are interested in sports. You can bring in some other examples. But we need to be focusing on, like you said, on critical thinking. How about that? How about how to, how to use our minds and, and critically think through certain problems? How to read, get them reading at levels, you know, starting to read them sooner reading maybe different perspectives in different books. But that also means bringing in conservative ideas as well. If you're going to go there, then let's go there and have them read some of Thomas Sowell and, uh, <laughs> and some conservative thinkers, especially in high school. They're not going to do that in fifth grade and stuff. But, you know, in high school, let's read some of these other, these, I, these other folks. That's not going to happen. No, no, it's not, because that's not what they're talking about doing. They're trying to make uh, indoctrinate our kids to think a particular way. It's going to cause more Christians and conservatives to pull their kids out of school and either homeschool them, send them to a Christian school, or look for a charter school that doesn't have this kind of mandate. And it's going to hurt the public schools, ultimately. Ultimately, because they're not focusing. What really hurts is that they're not focusing on things they need to be focusing on, really. They're not focusing on reading, on the arithmetic. Uh, we already know that a lot of the schools aren't living up to the standard. Kids aren't, aren't living up to standard tests, aren't doing well and we need to focus on that. We don't need to focus on something else. One of the other problems I have with it, they act as though there's no such thing as objective truth. Everything is subjective. People say today, it's your truth, or it's my truth, as there isn't any standard of truth, what is truth, okay? So we can can make it up as we go, which means why in the world do we have education in the first place if there's no objective truth? If you can just make it up as you go. If two plus two isn't really four, but it could be five, if you want it to be five today, it could be six, You know, just like, you know, you could be a male today or female tomorrow. There's no objective truth. And it's this same kind of thread that's running through everything that we just reject truth altogether, and it's whatever you want it to be.
1: And the long-term implications of this kind of instruction, we're going to teach you about these so-called progressive points of view, Mm -hmm. and then we want you to act on them.
2: Right. We're going to be creating a new generation of... Marxist. Well, I think that's what their hope is. Hopefully, we'll get parents to push back. Hopefully, we'll get other people to, to reach out to JCAR and call and say, hey, we don't want this. We don't want this amendment. Hopefully, folks in the General Assembly will stand up as well because education starts in the home. We believe that parents should have a right to educate their kids anywhere they see fit, send them to whatever school they want to send them to. Since education starts in the home, it's the parents' prerogative, which actually means they need to stand up and speak about how they want their kids to be educated. This is gonna take some stuff away from families and what families actually is gonna be diametrically opposed to those folks who are generally conservative and those who have Christian values. Those values, are because we can't, supposedly can't talk about religion in public schools, whose value system are they gonna be using? Who do you say? What do I say? Well, they're gonna be, obviously, they're gonna be using the, the value system of, of uh, critical race theory and the woke folks and and those who think that the lgbt community is okay and that you can decide what gender you are to even talk about what hundred different genders you know they're changing all the time so there's no objective truth is all subjective to your experience
1: the way this amendment is written it it doesn't specifically say critical race
2: theory, no no but it's there i mean it's, it's very vague and i'm and they probably did that on purpose. Because if you said critical race theory, then every a lot more people would probably be up in arms. But it doesn't actually say that, though the initials are there, CRT. <laughs> so you mentioned that parents who are concerned about this better
1: contact the JCAR committee. Right. They can go to our <laughs> website to get connected. What else can parents do? Christians, how should they be responding to this
2: in even a bigger way? Well, there's a number of things they can do. It's too late this term but always run for school board. We need people on school boards who are Christian, who have biblical worldviews, who can shape what happens in, this, in the schools. I mean, we complain about property taxes, but a lot of that comes through the school board. I mean, that's where a lot of that money goes. They can run for office themselves, run for state, state Senate and run for the House. We need good people down in Springfield who will come up with these, the ideas uh, for what's happening with our schools and how, how the money is spent and things like that. Uh, we need to be involved, but for now, you need to make a phone call. Yeah, they need. Well, they need to pick up a phone and call, or send an email. You know, all these uh, lawmakers have email addresses. If you don't feel like talking to them personally, you can always send a, send an email. Let's just assume that this is going to
1: pass, and public schools classrooms will be inundated with this woke indoctrination. Well, if you can't take your kids out of the public schools, if you can't uh, homeschool. How do Christian leaders respond? Christian parents respond. Make sure you teach your kids some biblical absolutes and what the Bible has to say about certain things.
2: And uh, and as you were speaking, I was I had an idea that you need to stay on top of what your kids are learning. So if they're teaching something that you diametrically oppose, equip your your son or your daughter to be able to defend their point of view, and that should come from the house from your home. It should also come from your church uh, to help these kids be able to stand their ground when their faith is attacked or when they're being taught something that, they, that their parents and their pastors would clearly disagree with, so that there is another point of view that is brought up. And according to this, they're supposed to respect those points of view, actually. So, so let's hold their feet to the fire. If they're going to say you need to be able to respect or affirm—actually, their, their, their term is affirming—you know, their, their culture and their background— let's make sure that they do it then. Let's not have it just put in words. If you're gonna affirm the far left person and their ideology, you have to also affirm the, those who are on the right, those who, are, who have, are faith-based as well. This is Illinois Family Spotlight.
1: Our conversation with Dr. Eric Wallace continues after this.
0: Have you ever noticed how many churches sit empty throughout the week? And if our children are spending most of their week in school with no godly influence, what kind of influence are they getting? Well, Freedom Project Academy wants to change that. And it's a simple concept. Partner with churches across the country to provide fully accredited, biblically-based online classes that allow every church that sits empty Monday through Friday to start their own school. Freedom Project Academy is a Christ-centered, government-free online school FPA provides more than 100 live courses. Schools can select the classes they want to use while providing their own courses for Bible study, music, art, and anything else they choose. So here is the real question. How big is your God? Let's fill up our churches all week long. Visit Freedom Project Academy because together we can faithfully educate America.
1: Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this edition, Dr. Eric Wallace discusses some of the issues facing our nation. Dr. Wallace is the co-founder of the Freedoms Journal Institute. Biden administration fully embracing the 1619 Project. Hmm. Out the door is the 1776 Project. Your thoughts? Yeah,
2: the 1776 Commission uh, was let go. Look, I... (laughs) The 1619 Project had actually been debunked. Um, there have been a number of, of historians who have come forward and said, this is not this is not correct. United States didn't start in 1619. Okay, we were British colonies then. The United States actually doesn't start until we fight against the British and we win our freedom. And then it wasn't until 1787, 1787, I think, when the Constitution was ratified. So, you know, somewhere between 1776 and 1787, is the birth of the United States? You can't start in 1619, and even if you did, there's still a debate about when slavery actually came to the came to our shores. Many believe that in 1619, uh, the first blacks who came over in, in boats were actually indentured servants. They weren't slaves, and that some of them ended up buying buying their freedom, which is what happens with indentured servants. You you work for a certain period of time to work off your debt, and then you're free. Even whites were indentured servants. Yes, a- a- exactly. Exactly. Well, even white people were slaves. So, <laughs> so we we can't pretend. And, and that's the other thing: people act as like the only, the only people that were ever slaves were black Africans, and that's not true at all. Uh, white people were slaves long before Africans were slaves. What, what? One of the things that Thomas Sowell talks about, in, when he talks about slavery, he looks at slavery all over the all over the globe. It's been all over the globe in every in every continent, right? And what used to happen, you just enslaved the person who lived next door. You'd enslave your neighbor. You'd go over and you'd fight them, you'd beat them, and then they'd become your slave, right? right. And then somebody else would come up and fight you and beat you, and you'd become their slave. Uh, it only happened that we started transporting slaves across oceans because we had the ability to do so. We had the ships to be able to take people across the oceans, and the people we tried to enslave, such as the Native Americans and others, actually, they died because of the smallpox and some of the other things that were going on. And so they didn't have the workforce. And I don't think they had enough indentured servants to do what they wanted to do. So they started buying slaves, and they bought slaves from black Africans in Africa. So, you know, the 1619 Project, it's a political— What's the danger of that? Is it
1: just something that's going to create more division and more
2: racism? It creates more racism. It tries to legitimize certain lies that aren't the truth. Uh, Again, it goes back to, is there objective truth or not? What is our actual history? Let's stop trying to politicize history. Example, we've politicized and we've weaponized race. The Democrat Party isn't anything without making black people feel as though the Republican Party hates black people and the Democrat Party loves black people. It's a lie. (laughs) Democrats control all the major cities where uh, many black people live in slums. Okay.
1: With failing schools, et failing
2: schools, right, right, and it has nothing to do with critical race theory. Has nothing to do with uh, racism at all. Young people are failing because their schools are terrible, and they come out of these bad schools not being able to read, write, and do arithmetic, and then they're they're expected to compete. No, they they can't compete because their schools aren't any good. But the same people who supposedly care about black people, the teachers unions, are ones that keeping black people in these bad schools. Hispanics and some white kids because if you actually look at our schools versus some of the schools in Europe we're actually not doing very well at all even if our even if our white affluent schools we need more education choice exactly that's where we're going but some of the people that fight against that are the very people that say that they're friends of black people and they're not they're keeping these people in bad schools uh, and when they come out they're not well educated and can't compete. But parents have few education choices
1: in many black communities. Even if they had the money, the wherewithal, to send their kids to Christian schools, there's no Christian school in their neighborhoods. I think
2: that's only because it's been limited. Charter schools, if there was school choice, if there was real school choice where the money followed the child, you'd automatically see a number of different schools open up. Well, how do we get that to happen? State legislature. I've also found out that charter schools when I was running for a state senate, that the school district has to okay a charter school because some of the money from that district ends up going to that charter school to help that charter school get funded. So again, it goes back to having people on the school board who are open to having uh, charter schools open up in their district. If the school board is all against it, it's gonna be quite, quite difficult. Now, now there used to be some kind of board that was set up. I don't know if it was called a charter school board or what, and they need to bring that back. If we wanna open up school choice, we're going to have to do some things above and beyond the teachers' unions and maybe even some of the, the uh, school boards. Maybe churches
1: who are like-minded could kind of band together and form their own Christian schools,
2: whatever. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, it should be all the above. You need to find out what's best for your child. Some kids will learn better at home sitting in front of a computer and, and going through the various things, taking tests on the computer. Other kids want, need other kids around them. So, you know, going to Christian schools or charter schools, you know, works better for them. But again, it comes back to the, the adults, the parents figuring out what works best for their child. Not everybody is the same. We, and we, we talk about disparities and stuff. Of course there are disparities because God has made us different. We're all different. Certain things that motivate one kid won't motivate the other one. So there's different things that motivate us and get our motors running. And so we need to find out what that is for your child and then plug your child into that kind of school. Former President Donald Trump made pretty big inroads with
1: African-American voters. What do Republicans need to do right now to make sure they hold on to that African-American vote and build upon it?
2: Well, I think uh, to be specific, he actually made some good inroads in the black with black males this election cycle. We just need to do a better job in trying to reach out and talk to people who are from different cultures, maybe a little different background. We, we gotta stop acting as though we don't care. I think sometimes conservatives are somewhat indifferent about some of our differences, except when you talk about you know, reaching out to Latinos. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, we need to reach out to Latino voter. But when it comes about talking to, to black voters, I think some people have just, just given up and decided, well, they're never gonna come our way. Well, black voters didn't start voting Democrat right away. It took some time before the majority of black people started moving to the Democrat party. But that's because Democrats reached out to black voters back in the 30s. And so more black people started to run into the Democrat Party um, and kind of left the Republican Party. And there are certain things that took place that helped push that along. We got to take a long view because what's happening, and, and I read an article and I can't remember the name of the article, but it talked about how much money that Democrats, that progressives are spending and giving to nonprofit organizations to go out and get involved in the black community, get Young black kids, register to vote, get them the information that they need. We need to be doing the exact same thing. Especially here in Illinois. Especially in Illinois. Right now, a lot of the stuff that Biden is doing, all these executive orders, a lot of them have to do with what they call social justice stuff. I don't believe in social justice right. because all justice is social. You don't need a, an adjective in front of it to say it's social justice. But there's social justice issues and you know this whole thing about no cash bail and stuff. A lot of this is because they feel like there's an overrepresentation of black people in the criminal justice system. Well, that's not necessarily the way to do it is to let everybody out of jail. The way to do it is to how do we keep black people from getting involved in the social in, in the criminal justice system? What do we do about that? How do we get them better education? I mean it it's all tied together. These aren't separate compartments. Strong families, strong education, opportunities for entrepreneurship. All these things. Well, you power. kind of
1: brought up the uh, crime bill that's now on the governor's yeah. desk. No cash bell for felons so they could be walking the streets. And all these protocols for police officers. And, you know, maybe some of those are good. What are your concerns?
2: Well, my, my concerns off the top is that we're not doing any real, in real investigation about whether this stuff works or doesn't work. We're not looking at whether chokeholds are bad or not. We're, it was just an overreaction to what happened with George Floyd. And that wasn't even a chokehold, knee on his back. But, you know, it's a terrible tragedy that this guy ended up dying because of that. And so when we take that, we hype it, and then we try to say, well, we need to get rid of chokeholds. Well, I don't know how else you try and—and and I, I should say I was, I'm a former police officer. So I don't know how you try to control people or if you're in a fight with somebody, how you not get somebody in a headlock. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you do that. So if you're on the ground and trying to, you know, wrestling with somebody, eventually you're going to put your arm around their neck and try, and, try to subdue them. I think there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions to stuff that we just need to sit down and, and, and look at. I don't have a problem with looking at our criminal justice system to see where there's some problems. Because anything that people put together, there's always gonna be some problem with it. And we should always be looking at everything, actually, and how do we improve? How do we improve things? Our criminal justice system probably needs to be improved. And there may be some problems with cash bail. But how do we improve that instead of just getting rid of it altogether? How do we make it more equitable? Uh, When you're doing cash bail and let's figure out how maybe we do the bail system a little a little different a little better Instead of just you know allowing people who have committed felonies to go back out and commit another felony
1: One of my concerns would be that Police officers will be so uptight about making an arrest that they won't make arrest and that will just lead to more crime
2: Yeah, the person they arrested today, you know this morning will be out, you know this afternoon, right? So and they're worried about they'll become the criminal under these protocols, the police officers. Right, right, I think uh, cooler minds need to prevail and we need to take some time to actually, okay, let's take a look at this. And again, a lot of this is being pushed by the whole thought of, you know, disproportionality. Well, there's disproportionality in everything. Because it's 19% of the population is African-American, excuse me, 13%. It doesn't mean that every place you look should be 13% representation. It's just not possible. It's nowhere else. So why do, we expect, why do we expect it there? We look at the NBA. The NBA is like 80% black. I don't see anybody complaining that we got too many black people playing basketball. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah, but they are complaining that we don't have enough coaches, don't have enough black coaches, we don't have enough black owners. Yeah. And I'm like, give us a break. Okay, we just got to the point where we're pretty much dominating the NBA. You know, and there have been black coaches. Coaches come and they go. NFL. Same thing in NFL. We've had black coaches in the past. Lovey Smith, uh, Art Shell. Um, I mean, there's been plenty. Tony they, Dungy, yeah, yeah. They just and those have re, guys have retired or have been, you know. Uh, Lovey Smith was kind of pushed out. I thought the Bears should have kept him, but anyway, that's a whole nother segment. <laughs> 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 and so they use disproportionality and the, the social justice stuff. But yeah, so people complain about stuff they really shouldn't be complaining about. And like you said, the NFL is predominantly, I think, it's seventy percent black. So do we have affirmative action programs for white people to get back into the, the NFL? because it's overrepresented. We don't complain about that. We want to complain when there's underrepresentation. But underrepresentation doesn't necessarily mean racism. Sometimes a culture pushes certain things. We have been overrepresented in the entertainment world for a long time, a long time with sports and music and other entertainment, movies now, but we don't hear people Talking about that, do we? Probably, in a lot of the building
1: trades, African Americans, blacks are underrepresented.
2: Some of it, again, some of it, I go back and say it's culture. You can't say unless you have some kind of. You can point out some place where there's systemic racism, where they're actually trying to keep black people out of a particular trade. Well, I'm not saying that they're being kept out. It's that maybe the schools need to prepare kids for these high-paying jobs in the trades. Well, I would agree. And I think that's one of the things that we need to go back to is having trade schools where we teach people. And, you know, uh, somebody told me one of the reasons why that stopped is because this goes back to the unions. When you stop teaching it in high school but allow the unions to teach it, everybody has to become joined, end up joining a union. Unions end up controlling it. If you do it in high school, you can become a plumber without having to join a union. You can become an electrician without having to join a union. But if the only place you can learn to trade is in a union setting – or unions come to your school and say, hey, we'll take you guys on and we'll teach you this trade So you don't have to do it in schools anymore. Um, it fixes the whole thing. And a lot of those unions don't come to black schools. A lot of talk about changing the face of the $20 bill.
1: Right. Uh, President Andrew Jackson is on there now, the founder of the Democratic Party, a fellow who advocated for the expansion of slavery he has ties to the uh, genocide committed against Native American Indians, and then there's the proposal to have Harriet Tubman mm-hmm. space on the twenty-dollar bill. She escaped slavery. She helped others escape from slavery. She's a hero. Right. What
2: do you think? The question I would have is, how do we decide who's going to be on it? Why um, Harriet Tubman? I understand that this kind of the last two years have kind of been the the years of the black female. One of my big hero, heroes is Frederick Douglass. Sure. I'd love to see he- Frederick Douglass on a, yeah. on a on a bill, but I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't be opposed to. I guess my problem with that. it is that I don't hear Republicans pushing this idea.
1: Here you have the founder of the Democratic Party, who advocated for the expansion of slavery on that twenty dollar bill, right? And you're not taking advantage of the situation.
2: So so if we're gonna have this conversation, to your point, um, Republicans should be leading this discussion. And should be putting, offering other names that say, hey, there's a number of, of people that, you know, if we want to put somebody black on the, on, on a bill, here's some of the names I think we think you should consider. And well, yeah.
1: Frederick Douglass right
2: at the top, wouldn't you? Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, you know, there are a number of, of others, the, the first blacks to, to serve in Congress. There's a number of them. I just feel like the Republicans must lead the way on this. I can't speak for, for them, but I will try. <laughs> As best I can. I think some of them see this as part of the whole woke thing. And so they don't want to give into that. They need to get beyond that and start saying, okay, you know, while we're busy playing checkers, everybody else is playing chess, right? Thinking two or three or four different moves ahead of us. And we need to think ahead of them, starting to think, okay, if they're going to do this, how do we then take control over this and start saying, okay, you want to do that? Then here are some folks. Here are some folks that were that were Republican who actually. Who are black leaders who led the way when it came to civil rights in the very beginning? Freedom's Journal Institute. How do people connect? Freedom'sJournalInstitute.org. You go to our website right there, or if you want to, you can download our app. We have an app. I think we're only I have the app. Only one of only black uh, conservative organization that has its own app. And if you get the app, all you have to do is go to your what, your app store on your phone. So we're on Google, we're on an iPhone, and we're on Amazon. The, the good thing about the, uh, the app is that you have access to all the videos we've done from Kingdoms and Conflict to the RISE Principles. Uh, all those things are on there. For, even going back to 2013, we did our first Black Conservative Summit. All those videos are there for you to watch.
1: And you're running for township assessor in what? Rich Township? Township
2: supervisor in Rich Township. Okay. All April right. 6th. You got a website for that? Rich Township Republicans. It's rtro.org. RTRO.ORG.
1: Dr. Eric Wallace, please support the work of the Freedoms Journal Institute. And remember to support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations to IFI are tax deductible. Please contact state lawmakers who are members of JCAR and ask them to vote no on the Radical Culturally Responsive Teaching and Leading Standards please do so before the expected February 16th vote. For names and phone numbers, go to IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. Also, tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.